Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to your business in digital. How is everyone doing today? <laughs> Good morning. Can you believe it's October? Wow. Good morning. I know. It's practically oh, Christmas. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> it is not. Just face yourself. <laughs> I have seen Halloween stuff, but not Christmas stuff. Just it. Just it. Even if I see it, I'm pretending I don't see it. So I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like we're we're slowly moving there. <laughs> Too fast. Us, us yeah. here, we ready for Christmas. <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> Michelle, how are you doing this morning? It's Monday. It's Monday. I'm still trying to wake up. The sun is not out yet. It's, it's... I hear that. I hear that. Well, let's get started and let's kick over to the show intro. <laughs> Good morning, good morning, and this is your business in digital, where we talk to you about exactly that, digital, digital marketing, digital landscape, we talk about your website, we talk about everything digital, we talk about AI and digital, but what we try to do is we really try to help you get to that place of how do I connect my digital to my goals back to my revenue, right? How am I achieving 10% increased revenue through digital? That's what we're talking about, and what we do is we bring together all the key stakeholders here in this conversation of a business, right? Because that's super important. Your key stakeholders still need to play a part in the conversation with digital. So I have here with me finance, your virtual CFO in the building. Hello, good morning. I have here with me, like sales and marketing, sales and marketing, because she does it all, our sales strategists in the building. And of course, we have operations represented here with Michael. Good morning, good morning. And I do the marketing, right? I talk marketing and so we connect all the dots. <laughs> we connect all the dots for you in your business. So super excited to be here. So let me get a little bit of housekeeping out of the way. Uh, I want you guys to connect with us, connect with us, subscribe, tell a CMO, tell a CFO, tell a business owner about this show, because again, we connect all the dots. We move that, we remove that fear from digital and we help you grow your business through digital. So listen to us on YouTube, listen to us on LinkedIn at your business in digital. And of course, we are everywhere that podcasts are. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on Amazon, we're everywhere we need to be. So definitely listen to us, subscribe and tell a business owner about this show because it's super helpful. And again, we help them get to that place of money in the bank. All right. So I think I got everything out the way. <laughs> Good morning, team. How are you? <laughs> Thank you, Nia. Great hype person. We needed that this morning. Round of applause for everyone, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as we move, we are moving into our hot topic segment this morning. So what are we talking about? Let's get a little woo. <gasps> well, this one, this one's gonna be an interesting discussion. So, you know, fifteen minutes, but this, this is gonna be interesting. This is gonna be interesting. All right, all right. What are we talking about this morning? We are talking, so AI is out of the box. We know it's, you know, we've talked about data 2021 and before. 
But Google is actually going to enable you, and OpenAI has done the same, enable web admins to block systems from scraping their site for AI training, right? So here's, here's some of the points. So they recently announced that OpenAI um, recently announced that it's open to the web. You know, people are using ChatGPT more, and Google is doing the same. So they've announced that they've added an extension that controls whether web publishers can use the can let the AI robots scrape their site for information. Now they're pretty, you know, kind of trying to push to say, listen, they're just using it to teach it, not nothing else. It's part of that language learning model. And it's similar, again, it's similar to everything that OpenAI is doing. So retrieved content is only used in a training process to teach their models how to respond to a user request given this content to make the models better. Of course, that's the whole point, not to make our models better at creating responses. But many publishers, big publishers and creators have already blocked it as a means to protect copyright. Good morning, Marlon Hill. So, and they want to stop generative AI from replicating their work. So this discussion is, you know, getting even more complex. And of course, it's too late because ChatGPT already did 2021 and before. On Friday tomorrow, and I showed you what happens when we searched, you know, tell us about Monovan Digital. And now you're looking at, do you want your data set included? And it's not clear what that connection to SEO is going to be, because you would think you'd say, well, I need to be found. I need to be there and present. But what about if you are in this same B2B space and you've done white papers and you don't want them referenced just yet into other places? So there are some serious things to consider. And especially as it rolls out and it's incorporated into more platforms, it's going to become increasingly difficult to manage that data ownership. And that's a discussion, data ownership. So eventually, it's kind of leaning toward you'd want your website to be included, but there absolutely are situations where you may not want your data set included, or you may need to be paid for your data set to be included, right? So mm -hmm. lots of, you know, and when you're using content, the last part of it is when you're using content now, how, what's ethical use of content, right? Mm -hmm. You know, tomorrow you said that term to me and it, it rang a loud bell. What's the, that ethical use of content? So making sure you can verify sources and we're going back to citations, right? Where did this information come from? Who am I crediting? So that's, I thought this is a really interesting little nugget just to bring to the fore because at first my brain said, of course I'd want my website there, but you know, there are situations I may not yet, right? So that's a hot topic for this morning. And this is on both Google's platform as well as OpenAI. What are you all thinking? Great hot topic for sure. Um, I am thinking that, yeah, that's pretty interesting, but I like that they're giving them the option. Um, you know, it's interesting because you want to show up in that space because that's how search is going to go. But then you want to be able to protect your content. So what do you need to do to start really protecting your content? Make sure, you know, I think you're right. You talked about Marlon Hill and he talked to us about you know, taking our batches of content and almost like copywriting it, right? And making sure that you have that information copywritten because you don't know what will happen, what will not happen. Um, and we saw, it also is taking me back to when we first learned to write papers, like 
you know, back in the day and you had to cite your sources, right? So all of a sudden I'm like <laughs> preparing for O-level exams and I'm citing sources, right? So I'm like, what? So there's a level of old school in this mix. Where did you get the information from? Because you're right, where are the sources? Uh, so that's super important. Um, and yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting it's, it's thing. Interesting, right? Because they're that's not right. connecting it to SEO. It's different. It's absolutely separate from SEO at this point. At, at this, this point. point. At so this point, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, there's SEO, but then there's, you know, do we include it in AI? Do we, you know, do I own this data set? Let's start there. So I've produced content for my business for 10 plus years. I've become a leading authority in my industry. And now everyone can draw on that information for free and add it to their content in all sorts of different ways. Maybe even, you know, damage my content, maybe even dumb down my content. So lots of things to consider and think about. And that's why I had to say good morning, Marlon Hill, because in his six things of business, you know, there's that protect. And this is where, you know, I wanted to pair the protect and use as well, because we're all using it. We're all using it. So, you know, how do we now look at it from that ethical point of view? If we are working with anyone and they say, well, you know, I don't want you using AI. What are the kind of objections are we going to get? And, you know, this kind of speaks to some of those reasons, right? Just core protect your copyright. So content game just got a little more confusing. <laughs> I I have such, I'm conflicted. <laughs> I guess that's the best way. I'm quite conflicted because we often speak in the space of exactly what you said. Your, your content is, is quite important. Your voice coming out in, in every component of any place that your client can get to, regardless of the channel or wherever they come to you in your journey, that everything that you want to have spoken about your business comes first and your differentiators, whatever your lanyard is, whatever that is that's out there. So is this going to become another version of someone needs to think of the that you see and go, not right. Let me correct this information, submit it. And who gets to make a, make a determination if that's right. I think of when did the Friday wrap up where I went on and looked at things on BARD and found some, you know, uh, the third or fourth try on some things. I said, well, that's interesting. This is here. No, this content is wrong for this A, B, and C reason. Was it, uh, you know, content information that I sent back to, to Google and, and to BARD rather. So what are they going to do with that? Are they going to take that as face value or are they going to allow me, the owner of my information, supposedly, uh, the right to maintain what I want to have said about me and, and my business and what I'm using to attract my customer base? So I, I find it really interesting uh, that the ability is there to provide better search, but quite concerned about uh, my voice for my business out there. So I don't know. I'm conflicted. And you raise, so continuing this point, I'm going to just keep pulling this, you know, think of competitive advantage through your content. Are you going to lose that? You know, you put out content to gain a competitive advantage. So if mm -hmm. that content is being repurposed here, there and everywhere, you know, are you maintaining that competitive advantage? Are you, is it worth the work that you're putting into creating the content? So some good questions to mm -hmm. go down the road with on this topic. This this is yeah, I mean, Michael, you said that and all I'm thinking is, you know, money gone, you know, you that loss of competitive edge, 
means potentially loss of, of potential revenue or dip in, 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 in your ability to, to get sales. And it also goes back to what Tamara was saying. I thought that as well, that we're going back to the old school way of citations when you, you couldn't write a paper for your for your studies without um without checking your references and making sure that you cited correct information. And I believe in the early days of AI, that was one of the concerns that came out. They were showing you how chat well, I'm not too sure if which app it was, if it was Chat GPT or another one were actually passing exams to people and writing people's papers. So, so, you know, tuition providers were kind of up in arms, like, well, okay, well, the student is not going to be doing their work. And I'm like, well, they had stopped doing their work since the advent of Google, right? Because everything was just a question away. You know, we grew up with looking in the encyclopedia. I'm probably showing my age a bit, but I had a set of encyclopedias at my house. And when you had a question, your mom, mom said, well, there's the books there. You go and you look it up or you go and spend an entire day in the library. Correct. So from the advent, so from the advent of oh, Google, we were in the library. That went out the door. So we're now way advanced now and, and we're seeing where things, our questions are getting answered in full, full that you could just copy and paste and go with it. So I think there's so many different angles there, you know, but definitely the protection of content is really um is really paramount because on every level whether you're producing content for for fun let's just say for recreation or whether you're producing it for um actual business it speaks to your ability to protect what you what you created and that that basic right of i created this therefore i own it could be eroded by 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 this whole thing i think what's interesting about it is as we look and think of the things that we speak to our clients about in niching down and, and what are you really trying to get out there? Who is the target audience that you're really trying to attract? This almost forces the behavior for you to decide. And that's the lane that you stick in. And that's what you speak to all the time, because if it is repeated verbally or anywhere online that you, you have any opportunity to place some information, it forces that behavior and forces you to decide who do I want to speak to because they are searching for me and I, am I speaking their language or is there a translation table that's going to be required for, for them to even find me? So this forces you to engage. If you're not a digital person, then guess what? You're about to become one because this is the way, place that your customers are going to be. And picking up, you know, a piece of paper with a newspaper ad for you to, to look at that Sunday circular goes out of the window because walking into a brick and mortar store is a, is a, is a tiny fraction of the audience, as we know that, that we're going through. So it forces us as business owners to find our voice and to put it out there and to say, yes, I want you. I want you to come to me and I'm asking the right people into my world. So I think that part of the, the, the AI component kind of helps us in that, in that specific realm. Yeah. Well, and not to be all dire and down this morning, right? But there is an opportunity here. So let's think about your website sectionally, right? So if mm -hmm. I were to move my website and have, you know, a portal, a, a customer portal or, you know, visitor portal where you have to actually sign in, then that whole idea of gating content becomes a little more relevant, right? So that you have to be inside my world to access my content. I may put a bit of lead content that I do allow the AI robot to scrape and read that gets you there. 
sets me up as the authority. But now you have to come into my world, and that's the only place you're going to see this content. I think it presents a lot of opportunity, right? So uh, the idea of people using your content, dumbing it down, using you as a source is good. But I also think about if we took the technology just a little bit further, like kind of like bit Bitcoin and um, blockchain, right? How do we add the blockchain to our content? So, you know, is this where... <laughs> Is this where the uh, NFTs come into play? Where I'm able to track? This, I mean, so we're learning out. But, you, but I think you're on the right track. I think, you know. That's I, interesting. That's interesting. I think you'd be looking at, yes, those new copyright tools may come back into you. Yeah, so it's just like, it's kind of like, it's here. We just need to understand to when my content is accessed, right? That it's like, hey, here's a hit, right? And that's where the data comes back. My content has been accessed. Here's how it's been utilized. The reference comes automatically. So yeah, <laughs> blockchain to content to NFT to, I don't know. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> All right, this was a good talk. You know what I mean? You definitely pushed the envelope here today, Mr. Michael Wilson. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Just good morning. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Round of applause for you. <laughs> we're, woken up. we're all woken up now. Right, we're like, who's going to steal my content while we present this content anyway? How <laughs> do I get this extension? <laughs> Tell me now. <laughs> no, one no one was like, I got to be out of here. You know what I mean? I'm going to continue to do this show. So <laughs> steal away. <laughs> Check out social media today. If you want to read more about it, definitely head on over to social media today and you'll see this article. Yeah, cite that source. Cite <laughs> <Like> that source. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. So uh, we are moving on. So today's show is all about B2B digital strategies. We're moving on to our Go Beyond the Like segment. And this is where we take you beyond the likes and follows to true digital marketing strategies that really help you get to that place of achieving your business goals. So today we're talking B2B strategies for, uh, you know, B2B strategies, digital marketing strategies, cutting edge digital marketing strategies. I love these titles. They are so focused around search engine optimization. It's crazy, but good stuff. You know, I think we always talk about, or we always hear a lot more about direct to consumer strategies, right? Um, whenever I'm listening to marketers, sometimes when we speak as well too, I hear a little bit of direct to consumer, but I know we're talking to businesses and we really wanted to lean in and highlight that a little bit more, right? And, and really lean into here's how, what the digital marketing strategy for a B2B business could look like or some of the considerations. I don't think this is a one-time conversation. It's definitely uh, a few conversations that we will have. But one of the first things I wanted to talk about are what is what are some of the fundamental components, right, of a successful B2B digital marketing strategy? And I will go around the room and give everyone a chance to, you know, say something around that. <laughs> Um, and for me, what I'll say to start off is that it's still the core 
elements, right? It's the right creative. It's understanding that you are hitting a pain point. Um, so it's still all the elements that we talk about that matter for a B2B strategy, collecting the data points, all those things, right? So Michelle, I'm gonna pass it over to you so I do not hog the question. <laughs> uh, and then we can kind of circle around the room. <laughs> I, I think it, there are a lot of things that mirror, but this one I think is rather is is really large in that two things: uh, the client journey and the number of of people that you're working with, because it's not just a primary decision maker that's the CEO or the CMO. You're dealing with a new a number of stakeholders that may be influencers. The people that I say are those that can say they can't say yes, but they can absolutely say no and block you from from entering the door or getting to the final table for decision. And I think the it, it's important to understand that their roadway into your world is not linear. That that sales cycle is it comes to you in a different way, and your talk track has to be really key and understanding where those people are coming in and who that player is that will get you to the road to success. Yeah, agreed 100%. You know, I think it's super important for you to know, like, what are they looking for? You have to understand what this business is looking for. Uh, have they even discovered what it is they're looking for just yet, right? And how do you prompt them to get to that place in the online space? Andrea, I'm going to pass it over to you. You know, kind of piggybacking off of that, it's, I think, an important part is understanding the who, right? Because a lot of effort has to go into conversion. And I think you want that conversion to be as efficient as possible, right? Because as much as you might have the product and you know, oh, no, this is their pain point. We know this is their pain point. If you're, if you, if you're speaking to the wrong person in the, in the whole sequence, then your effort is wasted and you're spending resources and wasting money talking to the wrong person. So I think in, the, in your B2B strategy, you must have a strategy of how am I getting to the right person to speak to? What does that look like? It could be, as Michelle said, some people are influencers, some people are, you know, how they, how they influence a decision, but they may not be the decision maker. So from the get-go, you have to say, well, how do I approach these, you know, what are the things that, that I do? Do I, it could be as simple as, do I follow them on LinkedIn? Do I engage with them first? Do I do, um, do I, re, you know, answer their, their call for tenders? Do I, whatever that may be. I think as a business owner, you have, you can't just wing it. You have to be able to sit and say, what does that look like for me? Does that look like just following them on social media? Or does that literally look like picking up the phone and asking for a meeting? Or that type of thing. So I think you need to take that, understand what those steps are because you want you want those steps to be as short as possible so that you don't waste resources speaking to the wrong person because you may have the perfect product but speaking to the wrong person. Exactly. And you want to look at that organization as a buying persona, right? You have to really understand that organization. And that's what we're saying. What's what's the buying habit? What's the buying behavior? What's the cycle? Is going to influence your operations as well. What's your production cycle? How does that match with their buying cycle, right? Um, when you're marketing, you want to make sure that you know you're marketing in a way that if they do come through quickly and it is a faster conversion, that you can manage that, right? 
Um, so you're going through all these doors, yes, but you know, at some door you may you may get that yes faster than you thought, and you still have to you still have to be ready to deliver. So a lot of things to consider. I think everything that we everyone said you have to consider yeah. with that B two B strategy. I'm going to for the team. <laughs> oh, that was like a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next thing is, you know, let's talk a little bit about the importance of hybrid, of offline and online touch points, especially in a B2B strategy, right? Uh, we see that so much in a B2B space. We see it from conferences all the way back to their online strategy, connecting the dots. Um, so many times businesses are looking at these strategies as really, you know, isolated, you know, segmented strategies, I should say. And that that importance of connecting the dots, especially for in the B two B space. Well, I think it's important when we are in in the business to business component that it's a rare day where they're going to purchase something that's off the shelf from you and believe you from the moment that they enter into your world. So there's some street credibility credibility that needs to come to the table, that no like trust factor is, is so important because the dollar spent, that investment in your business is much larger than what you typically see in a, a consumer buy, a direct-to-consumer buy. So it they will research you, they will hear you, but then they will verify everything that, that you are saying. So they will, they will begin to look up your information and begin doing a little I spy type of thing to learn you and not your can with you are you the right component that fits into you know interlocking things for their business so it's important that what you say and what they can see for you can also be verified and and, and helped through the, the client journey by what you are saying to them offline by messaging that you're saying, uh, social proofing that there is out there for you in, in white papers or what other people are saying a, a, about you and that your interaction with them also moves offline so that you can continue the conversation in some areas that are privacy related that they will begin to give you intel about their business for you to further qualify the business that has to be offline and outside of the digital space. Absolutely. You know, um, and especially in this space, like people like us, you know, professionals, you know, service providers, that off, I have found that that offline part is so very important. I have found personally for me, some of my more lucrative um, sales opportunities that I've gotten came from my network which is that your networking is a key part of that offline strategy. It was a simple case of somebody calling somebody else and said, do you know someone? And they said, oh yeah, I know this girl. Um, it's a friend of mine or it's somebody who I worked with and I think she'll be really good. And then there's a connection. There's a connection that's created. They never looked at any of my social media posts. They never looked at anything, but they based on that referral. So and, and you have to you have to question, especially in your business space, how strong that networking as an offline strategy, how strong it is. In certain industries, it's stronger than others. I mean, it, it's always there's always an element of it, but in certain industries, it's stronger than others. So I think when you're looking at offline um, networking, that networking part could actually play a major role. 
depending on on where you are and I, i've seen it especially accountants service providers like us you know they always look you know anybody at least here in Trinidad, that's how we operate right boy are looking for somebody to do something you know anybody and then two three calls later you're connected so i think as business owners you have to consider that how important is it in your space and really make an effort to build to build on it because networking takes years right to build that strong network Andrea, what you said is so key because in the sales journey, when someone does a warm introduction for you, that moves that particular sale far down the sales cycle because there is an automatic no like trust that comes along with it and that, oh, you've worked with this person or you you trust them. And if they believe you, then that automatic trust comes along with it where it begins to, you move past the niceties of a conversation of trying to get to know you, but it, it, it's aligned more with, now let's talk about what, what pains me today and how you can help me. What do you really do? And, and how do you, how can you help get to my end result that I need? So you move past the whole, uh, the, 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 the representative component that typically comes when you, you first get into uh, knowing someone, you move past that rather quickly when someone else has introduced you to that person and shook their hand. And think about us automatically when I, I met you, Andrea, it's because it came through Michael and Tamara. So it was it was easier because I knew I, I trust them. I believe in them and they're not going to bring someone into my space in a business way, much less personal. If it, if it's somebody that I, that's not going to align with something that I believe in and what I want for my business. So I was going to say the importance of them matching. So those touch points, your offline and online need to be coherent, need to be, you know, matching partners. So because Michelle alluded to it, every time someone speaks with you so that you have that offline touch point, they're going to do their verification and checks online, right? You said this, but your site says this. You said, you said this. But your content says this, right? So it's very important. And this is where we strongly believe in taking down these silos so that you don't want sales and marketing, you know, in two different places, right? So that sales is getting to the door because of marketing, but they're saying something completely different to what sales is saying when they do get to the door. So you've got to consider these touch points. You've got to consider how that plays into your online strategy to make sure that they absolutely connect. Right. And, you know, just let's talk about some of these offline places, right? You mentioned that networking, we're looking at conferences, uh, you look at the referral, but the opportunity you have when you are in these spaces is to drive them down your customer journey, right? Move them down your path. What do you want them to see? They're going to verify. So position yourself with a QR code that they fill out the right form. Then you have an auto sequence that follows along with your touch points. They're also offline, a phone call a coffee or whatever the case may be that has to move them down that path. So you get to curate that experience even though you meet them offline, online, and have that hybrid approach. I think it's really important that we look at it as a hybrid approach and understand we're moving away from just in the B2B space. We're not just looking at, uh, you know, seven to 10 touch points. We talk about sometimes in that um, more so direct to consumer space. In the B2B space, we're really 
looking at about 20 to 30 touches, and that will include offline and online. So I want to make sure that we focus in on that hybrid approach because that's really, really important. And you are in control of what they see as they go down the path. Now, yes, will they verify in other spaces? Sure, they will. But your testimonials are also important here, getting that verification from other people. So there are a lot of things you can do to guide that path and move them down the space you want them to go down in that offline setting. Um, so, all right. Next question. So we we kind of alluded to this a little bit, right? And I, I don't know that this is so much a question or <laughs> just a statement, right? But let's talk to um, the complexity of the customer journey uh, for the B2B space. Um, you know, Michelle, you mentioned it, right? It is not an easy, it's not a $500, $20 sale, right? So this is something that is, could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, could be thousands of dollars, could be millions of dollars when you're looking at the B2B space. So let's talk a little bit about that the complexity of the customer journey. Now, every customer journey is already complex because <laughs> we are looking at you know, the wild card, right? The consumer, that person out there. So, but with the B2B space, it's complex for some things you guys already mentioned. So I'm not gonna <laughs> go. I, I, I I'm going to pull in something that Michael said that's really key. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned is that there are a number of people, players that are involved. There's typically more than one decision maker and influencer or, or somebody that has skin in this game on that, that business's side who will have a voice at that table. And we, on, on our side, as we're qualifying this business and trying to get into that world, really need to embrace that we need to understand the persona of every person that is going to be a touch point for us. And their, their entry into that customer journey could be very different from person to person. It is not a linear entry into your world or path to the end result. For instance, you may meet the CEO at a, 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 a business event who may be interested in your business and you're thinking that that's the person that you're speaking with. However, they're going to walk into the, the go back home or go back to their business and they're going to say, Michael, I met Michelle Gordon at this function and she is someone that can help us in, in pricing and in sales in this arena. Go and check her out. Now, the conversation that I'm having with Tamara and understanding who she is and I have prepped myself to make sure that I know what she's interested in. I've looked at her up on LinkedIn, where she's been and spoken in those spaces. And then all of a sudden I get a call from Michael Wilshire. And I've never met this man a day in my life. And I'm not sure how to adjust this man and where he, he sits in, in any component of things. Well, that's on me because I've not done the work on this business to understand all possible players that may come to the table. So I'm saying in this instance, you have to do a lot more homework. Understand that there are multiple players that are going to come into your world and their path into this journey may not come at the beginning. It might be at step eight, nine, or the final step where they're coming to the table. We need to be prepared for them at every instance because it can roadblock us, detour us from that path of sale and, and really derail it early if we're not prepared at the very beginning for every one of those players. So well said, and and what I'd like That's to add is, hard. can I get some? Can I get some? Can I get some angels? And more so, you know, in terms of where is it coming from in the company? Is it coming from the top, 
or is it coming from the front line, right? So that's going to inform your strategy very uh, hugely. Inform your strategy. Is this an organization that has identified an issue at that level, at the top level, at the board level, at the director level, or is it frontline staff who you know you're saying, well, listen, here's some information to influence your higher ups to say that you know y'all could do this better because sometimes your frontline knows exactly what the problem is, right? And you know they're not listened to so do you have to provide that content so that that in itself is the start of your complexity complexity as well so an identification are you going top down or bottom up which one it, it, it's really interesting too because it we could meet the needs and, and say all the right words that make you want to say yes from you know, from a ceo perspective or a chief operations person that comes through and then lo and behold the information is mentioned in an internal meeting and then nia's at the table nia who sits behind the scenes on, on us and moving all this stuff around for us and she begins analyzing it and then puts up her hand and say oh no this does not work or I have not, all of these questions have not been answered. Why CEO, COO, did you not ask these questions? Now go back to Michelle and get these answers because our world is going to come to a standstill if I don't know and don't have these tools or these things available to me. We didn't, and that's part of our job to anticipate all of those things and ask about those people to bring them into that journey early, early enough, ask the right questions, filter that information in and, and get the stakeholders at the table from beginning to end. Because again, that's a, that's a big influencer and can put a halt to the sale if we're not addressing that person's need and their persona very early in the sales cycle to and through the, the contract signature. Agreed 100%. And then, you know what? Just throw in, you know, who will completely mock up the whole customer journey? <laughs> I was just about to say that, like, have you prepared for that CFO? Have you prepared for that CFO conversation? Is that CFO is going to go, um, that's out of our budget or that's too much or so yeah don't forget to factor in the cfo in your customer journey so all important questions you need to highlight in that journey right to yeah have that should be one of the very first questions that you're working on what is your budget <laughs> what is your budget well, where right. is it we need to can't handle our cfo early on in the conversation early. but, so you know, but not just not just the budget, but also you have to speak the CFO language, which is what, you know, I always talk about here, which is why I'm here on this show to try and help, you know, be that bridge because we speak a totally different language, right? So yes, the, the number will always hit us first, but if you can justify why, okay, this is going to bring very tangible results back to your business, a CFO will go above the budget here. The budget is a guide, but I think a lot of CFOs, we hold on to it. And we say, look, oh, this is the budget, this is the budget. But we, we, we seem to hold on for it, hold on to it because nobody has been able to justify why I need to move my budget points. But I think that's the personality of the CFO and, and understanding their persona and what's important to them. If, if it's an educated CFO and they are looking at the information as well, they will be able to draw the line and understand because we, as the business owners, are feeding that information as well because I can't think of, 
Well, most operations people, the CEOs that are at the table are also looking at what that flow through line is as well. And they're asking those questions. So we do need to answer the call of what that CFO personality is, but we also need to understand the persona of that person as well. Are they just a bottom line driven person? Or are they also understanding the future of it? Because we have all have run across the person that says, well, the budget is the budget and we're not moving. But we also have those that say, well, we can eat into that budget or we can move some business, we can move some monies around to accommodate this because we see the future revenue potential to obtain and, and work into this partnership that exceeds the original investment that we were looking to place on our books for this account, this line of business that we're trying to, to pull through. So I think it goes back to persona, understanding right. the persona of every person that's at the table for that business. Right, 100%. I think it, it comes, I think you guys are definitely saying the same thing too, right? It's speaking the language, right? So in approaching a B2B business, what we have to look to do is we have to look to, first of all, research the business, understand all the key stakeholders and build in those things in our strategy ahead of time, right? Uh, you have to spend the time, we talk about the complex customer journey. So that could look like meeting someone at a conference, then moving them down a path of, uh, you know, they connect with you on LinkedIn, but then they connect you to Michael. But then what happens with the CEO conversation? How are you going to move that conversation? So you need to understand some of those pain points, do the homework, connect with them, look at how, look, each person makes it a little bit more complex. And then overall, understanding the business itself, the brand itself, because that also is a common denominator for all those personas, all those personalities, the business, the business goals. So uh, you have to do a lot of homework, a lot of research, really, to get to that place of creating that, uh, crafting that customer journey for your B2B customer. And one All more right. thing, you know, Michael said something that's key, but I want to flip the script on the opposite side. Not just what are you saying that makes sense, but you know what you're saying online and digitally, digitally, is it the same thing offline, back and forth? Are they saying the same thing as well? Because remember, we're still qualifying and making sure that business is good for us. So are, does it match? Are all of the people saying the same thing and singing off the same song sheet? They're giving you signals as well. What you might have thought was a good business for your business as you're continuing on that, that path to sale. Are they giving you signals that make you still want to say yes to them? Yes, I want to accept this business into my world. Do, are they aligned? Amazing. No, that makes total sense. Yep. Everyone needs to be on the same page. Align. Is this the right business for you as well? So moving on to the next point. And I think this one, we kind of mentioned this before, right? In the B2B space, the importance of case studies and white papers, the street cred, right? Saying that you've done this before. Now we recently completed uh, what I like to call a our first case manifesto <laughs> because... <laughs> It is rich with information. We've done we've done a few case studies before, but this one was really complex. It was from when we worked with Cambridge, and it was a complex customer journey. So we just pulled together, um, uh, a, yeah, a manifesto of the all the moving parts, why we started the project, the goals, all the way to the end of the results. Um, and we understand that with this document, what we have is something that we can now share with potential clients to say, this is what it looks like to work with us. This is the end result that you will see. This is our street 
spread. We have done this before for a company that is X size with X amount of employees. So that allows them to see where you've been, what you've been doing. It really also ties back to some of that industry expertise as well, right? Um, the importance of case studies and also maybe doing something like what we're doing here, your business in digital, right? Standing out as subject matter experts and getting all the information out there. So when people are searching for you, they find this information. This also gives street cred because we're talking about exactly what we want to do business with, right? We're talking about your business in digital with all the key players of a business here. So um, I'm going to move on. Unless anyone wants to add something, I'm going to move on to number five. I'm just going to make up some time because I know we have like one question where everybody's going to be like jumping in. <laughs> question number five. And you guys talked about this before, but I definitely want a little bit more conversation around this, right? Understanding the key players, right? The business buying persona, that's the brand, the decision maker persona, right? That is the person that is making the final decision, the CFO, the COO, the CEO, uh, the CMO, and the influencer persona, the person who's in that decision maker's ear saying, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that, Michael over there. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, team, I definitely want us to jump in and talk about those personas because in the B2B space, while we are working with people, we're working with a lot of other factors. So let's go. <laughs> it is. I, I, I have to tell you, we do a lot of work in, in, in here in Lanyap with our clients on this specific space to a point that we make it, uh, it, it, we go deep, 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 because this will make or break your sale. A number of things will, but if we are not speaking the right language and don't understand that person's translation table of understanding, we're going to lose them. I I, I call it the Charlie Brown effect. You know, when you hear the, the wah, 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 the, you, you see the mouth moving, but you don't hear what they're saying because they're, they're just not speaking your language. We need to understand that our talk track and, and how we deliver information, the when, the how, the why, will vary from person to person in what they are trying to absorb. There, there is a, 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 an operations person that will understand the financial components of, of many a thing, but he may not want to hear the, the how am I going to get this out to the public and, and the different color schemes that may be used for me to put that out there. Zero interest in it. Zero interest in it. A CEO will want you to cut to the chase. Give me the net result of what I'm looking for. But they don't need to understand every checklist that you will have and the components of every stop along the way. Too much information for that person. So we really need to understand the personality that we're dealing with, what makes them tick, how they absorb information, how, how will they respond in kind? What's that call and response? that you will need to get from each one of those personalities. And that is, again, doing homework on the front end to accommodate that need and not just the, the, the position, but who that person is and what makes them thrive. Well said. <laughs> you know, and, and so true. And when you simplify that, these personas, so that business buying persona, that's Let's say who you target as a, a regular. Who is your ideal customers in terms of business customers, right? So you, what industry are you in? Are you in the medical industry, the legal industry? So I know I just target, you know, anyone who is in this industry. And then the decision and the influencer, of course, could be one, could be two, could be three, four, just as Michelle was saying, right? Could be a number of people. So just think of it like that. And then what do you serve up for each one, right? 
So as Tamara mentioned, working with Cambridge, we looked at teachers as influencers and made sure they had to, they had to get something that they could take up to their principal or their administrator, their school administrator, and say, hey, look at this and evaluate it on their terms. So as soon as we give them something, it's now leaning into the next persona that says, okay, this is not for you. You already got it. But since you you love it and you want to show somebody else, here's what you here's what you give to your administrator. It's totally different. It speaks to things like instead of being in the classroom, it would speak to things like does it meet a federal standard? Does it meet certain criteria? So there, it totally is going to inform your content at each stage and who needs to be involved on your end, right? So that's going to change as well. So we we talk about yes, who comes to the table, but who goes to the table as well. So sales may start off going to the table, but then I've got to bring in Tamara, right? Because they're talking something with Google Ads, right? So they're getting specific. So understanding who to bring in, who comes in at each stage and still keep them feeling like, hey, I'm in one smooth flow to make a decision. And it could be the very same topic that you're speaking on, but what you, how you're delivering that message, as you said, Michael, on the Google ads, it could be the verbiage that's being used. You're speaking to Tamara about it and how she's going to take that and, and implement some of those things in organic and, and, and paid search. However, when I'm speaking that, that language and, and uh, Andrea comes to the table, I'm speaking ROI. So when we place these Google ads, organically, this is what it's going to cost, but we're looking for this ROAS on this return on investment on this side of it in this amount of time versus someone in operations. Well, Michael, we need this information delivered at this time. When these ads are delivered, we're looking for it to hit at what place within the website to drive that sale forward in a specific way. So it's the same topic, but I'm going to have a different voice with each persona that's at the table. And we need to understand when we're delivering those words, how we need to deliver that message for that call and the response that we want back. You know, and all of this is, this is the sales cycle, right? This is, um, as a business owner, if you're in the B2B space, understanding all these different personas means how long is it going to take me to get this sale? As opposed to when you're in the B2C space, you're usually dealing with the, the, the user and the buyer and decision makers all in one person, right? As simple as uh, marketing a hair product, you're usually marketing it to the person who has the hair, who is making the decision, right? When you're in the B2B space, that sales cycle gets longer now because you have to factor all these different people. And a sales cycle has finance of, um, implications because while you're doing all of this, the sale has not been made yet. Have you factored that into your into your um, economic space? Have you factored that, A, it's going to take me about a month to go through all these different um, in all these different influencers and all these different players before I could get to that position? So I think, you know, just always, you know, remembering the dollar value impact um, of, all, you know, of, of the journey, all of this is builds up to your sales cycle and builds up to, well, how long do I have? How long can I play this game for? Right. Because you right. could be playing the game and not right. getting anywhere. And then, you know, no sales. Right. right. And did you get in time? Did you even get into the cycle in time for them to make a decision? Because a number of them may have an RFP cycle. And are you acknowledging and honoring what that sales cycle is in the B2B space and getting there early 
and not when the decision is already close to being made. So you couldn't even be at the table for uh, to have be included in the decision process. All right. All right, ladies, uh, gentlemen. <laughs> all right. So this one, I'm just going to kick to Michael really quickly because uh, we're definitely looking at time here. Mike, uh, you know, we are always talking CRM. So how does a CRM play an integral role into a B2B strategy? It, it follows exactly on what Michelle was just saying, right? It's that one source of data because it's so complex. They are touching so many points. A CRM is going to tell you everywhere that you've touched base with your client. So now when we're talking 7 to 10, going up to 20 touch points, how do we track that? How do we you know, keep that in one place and accessible to the entire sales team, marketing team, the entire organization for that matter of fact? Even in capturing successes, that CRM is going to be key and very, very crucial to success. Now let's think about just what Michelle said. I am constantly in sales mode. I'm constantly meeting, whether you are ready to buy or not. So I may want to know that, yes, I met with you this month. I'm outside your buying cycle, but you're highly interested. I've got to remember to catch you next year, right? Where do I make that note? Well, my CRM can do a lot of heavy lifting for me. It can, you know, I can set up an automatic workflow closer to that time next year that kicks in immediately that says, hey, from this date, give me a reminder, contact this client, get back in touch and so on. So it's gonna really become that key platform that gives you all your information in one spot relative to every client you've touched base with. And I can't, I can't say how much more powerful that would be in terms of managing these long sales cycles, managing customer service and managing customer success as well. All right. Well, good, good, good. You got those booms right there. So moving on in this one, I know everyone's going to want to spend a little bit of time once I wanted to get us to this question. How are you evaluating the success of your B2B strategy? And I know this is outside of just the sale, right? Um, so Andrew, I'm going to kick it to you first, then Michelle, and then Michael will circle back and then I'll wrap it up. <laughs> So of course, the, the easy, obvious answer is, well, did you get the sale, right? How or did you get the sale? But beyond did you get the sale, it's at what cost is what I would say for me is how successful it is. How, if I come back to the word of efficiency, how efficiently did you move the customer through the journey, through that pipeline? How much resources did you have to use to get that sale? Did you have to discount your price, which is a typical thing um, that I see business owners doing, right? They get, in the, they get in the door and in that final meeting, the person says, oh, well, that's, you know, that's too expensive. And immediately they go, well, I could take 10% off. And it's because 10% is probably the whole damn margin, right? And then you're back. To, so a, a, a key strategy, a, a key factor for me is one, Apart from getting the sale, did you get the sale at the price that you went in at, at your original price? And then two, how much did you have to give up to get the sale in terms of efficiency? Did you move them through fast enough that it was it, you didn't have to make a loss in that whole conversion process that you wrote in order to get in order to get that sale? So yes, getting the sale, but what happened along the way? For me, that efficient to me, efficiency is a big part of, of success. Oh, 
there are a number of ways. And if we, uh, I'll start on the, yeah, it's, oh, this one's a good one and a complicated one. I'd say on the, the pricing side, when we set out to do this for any specific business, did we stick within the range that we as a team, because it's a, a team decision, set out to, we have a high and a low. I, I, I go through and there's a there's your walk away and what your ideal one is. And when how close did we stay within that margin that we place within? And I hope that the margins are greater than 10% that we just spoke, that you mentioned, Andrea. I hope the margins are, are different than that. And if it's not, then we need to go back and analyze the, the, the market set that we're looking at and the target audience that we're going after because we have a larger problem if that margin's only 10%. Uh, I think on the sales side, there are a number of different places that I look for success. One is a target audience that we set out to be who we're actually attracting. All of us are out and we're making those touch points. One of the major things that I say all the time when you're walking in is when you are finished, when you walk away from that event, did you accomplish what you set out to from the very beginning? Did you hit your marks? Success could look like from that meeting, making 10 contacts, bringing 10 more people into your world so that you can move that through the sales cycle. When you walked away, your, your goal was to, to identify and show you had street credibility. So to bring someone into your world to say yes and move that, that, that sale along three more steps versus one more step. That, that success could look like I've secured that business and they've recommended me to someone else. That could be the goal of that moment. So success can look like different things in varying parts of your, your journey for that specific client that moves your business forward for longevity, for your business and its, its wealth and health uh, in the long run. So success on the sales side goes a number of ways beyond um, a, a closing of a contract in my eyes. And success, you know, evaluate, and I would say it's your pipeline health. And I don't mean just how many people you're converting, but how many people are coming in, the time it takes to convert them through each stage of your pipeline. So just that pipeline health, that's a good way to look and see, well, okay, is my B2B strategy performing? Am I getting in the number of people into my pipeline? Am I converting them as they go along the way? We'll always have a conversion ratio. We're not going to close every single deal, but we expect that we want to be driving this many people through that pipeline at any given point. And that's a good indicator of whether our B2B mm -hmm. strategy is performing well. The right um, people in the pipeline. Correct. A healthy pipeline of the right people. Of the right people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I love that, right? So defining success becomes really important in this strategy ahead of time. What does success look like to you? You don't just kind of want to walk into it, right? So uh, that pipeline piece, I think, is important as well, because many times people are really just talking about, I get in, let me close the deal, but, right? What does that pipeline look like? And how many people, how many of the right people do you need in that pipeline to move through the process to get to the sale, to have a higher conversion rate? You're also looking at that lead, the lead that's coming in, right? What are those leads that are coming in and how many leads are coming in at any given time? So you can accurately say, hey, when I get this many leads, usually my conversion is 2% of this and that leads to this. So here's the expectation. And there could be a conversation of how do I now increase those sales through the leads that I already have, people that are already coming through my pipeline. So there's real opportunity for optimization in those areas areas. So, whew, 
guys, <laughs> this one was a good, good, good show. There was a lot of information around B2B strategies. B2B digital marketing strategies are super important if you are in this space. And I know we talk a lot, not we, but there's a lot of conversation out there about direct-to-consumer strategies. And if you're a business selling or working with a business, we want to let you know that we're here for you at your business in digital. We talk about all the digital marketing strategies that can really help grow your business, take your business to the next level uh, with these strategies. So definitely tell people about this show. Guys, this was a good topic. This was a really good topic. I'm excited that we were here to do this. So round of applause for everyone. <laughs> All right, so let me do some housekeeping before we get out of here. So what do we have going on? We want you to subscribe. <laughs> we want you to subscribe. We want you to connect with us. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Connect with us on YouTube. We're trying to build up subscriber base on YouTube, so definitely connect with us there. But tell people about us on LinkedIn, too. We're building up that base. We get more and more people. I see, like, every week, like, it goes up by one or two people on the page. So super excited about that. Thank you to everyone that has been supporting this show, watching this show. Um, we are also everywhere the podcasts are. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Amazon. So listen to our podcast as well. Uh, we love doing this show. This is your business in digital where we get to talk to you about how to really be effective with your digital strategies, with your digital marketing strategies, looking at your market, understanding your market, understanding your landscape, understanding if you have the infrastructure to support the work that you're doing. We know that you spend a lot of money in digital, right? Because you need to be there. But we want to make sure that it works for you. And that's why we bring together all these key stakeholders, right? We have finance in the building. <laughs> we got sales in the building. We have operations in the building. And of course, we have marketing in the building. We want to make sure that you are getting the most out of your digital marketing efforts. So thank you for joining the show. This is your business in digital. I'm Tamara. See you on Wednesday. Take care, guys. Bye. <laughs>